There's one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. What? Win. What are we waiting for? Take this! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 91. My guest today is Kareth Foster, very funny comedian, actress, motivational speaker, and a new movie called Safe Spaces, and uh, she's here right now. Hi, Kareth. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I'm so excited about this film. Um, it's called No Safe Spaces, and it's about this like pretty recent phenomenon about... Well, it's named after the fact that there's now, quote-unquote, safe spaces on college campuses where you go if you feel that you've been triggered and you need a, a safe place where there won't be anybody to upset you with ideas or thoughts or words <laughs> that might uh, harm you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it sounds like a joke, but it's not. It's really happening. There, so on college campuses now, there are places where people can go once they've been they feel like they've been offended or yeah yeah or you, you're about to be offended or you have had somebody say something that takes you out of your comfort zone um or if there's a speaker that's coming to talk and you don't agree with their ideology instead of going to the talk um and if they haven't been disinvited then you can go to this safe space and so you're protected from their 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 ideas Wow, and uh, I, I guess I don't understand the. I, I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> well, it's, I don't blame you <laughs> because it's like it's the whole idea of going to college and university and higher learning to broaden your horizons and expand your knowledge and to maybe hear opposing points of view. Um, but the reality is, right now, what's happening is if people are coming to say something that others don't agree with, then they um, it's too upsetting to, to, to cope with and to handle. And, I mean, this feeds into so much from, you know, the helicopter parenting turned, lawnmower parents turned, um, what do they call them, snowplow parents now, where, you know, their parents take care of everything and want to, you know, I mean, everybody, your parent now, you know, you don't want your kid to be hurt, but you also have to realize that what comes with coming of age and being a human being is going to be stuff that isn't always comfortable. And it's through that discomfort, it's through the challenges, it's through the debates that you get stronger. Yeah. And that's what's kind of missing right now. Well, and, and as a comedian, you touched on something in one of the interviews about about making fun of the... part. My One of my favorite things, one of the funniest things to me, I'm not sure how to even say this, but is making fun of absurd things. Like, in my mind, in this day and age, it's absurd to be racist or sexist or any of that stuff, or homophobic. And when people are, it's, it's almost amusing to me. Like, really? You're still that dumb? Right. You know? Right, you're still that backwards. <laughs> you still have your head up your butt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is funny. And it's, I mean, you know, Norman Lear, the 
genius that he was. I mean, he, he started it back in the 70s and 80s, you know, with All in the Family and George Jefferson. I mean, those people were, were mockeries of bigots yeah. and of, you know, people who just weren't thinking, you know, in, in a way that was inclusive. And the idea of comedy, I mean, comedy is such an amazing tool, you know? Not only, yes, is it cathartic and it's healing and it bonds people, but it also, you know, it pokes fun at the people who aren't that bright. It pokes fun at the people who aren't quite with it. It, it, You know, it's a way to criticize even people in government and and, and, in power, uh, to to get you know because comics can say things that other people can't really necessarily say on a day to day basis because it is under the umbrella of humor. I mean, and this goes back to God. I mean, this goes back to Shakespeare. You know, I mean, back in the day, you say anything about the king, and you know he didn't like it, you'd be beheaded. But the court jester, you know, Shakespeare, they got away with it. You know, Shakespeare was the first Daily Show. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I, I don't know why. I don't know where along the line too we started giving so much credence to people who like, like let's say some lady in some backwoods town uh, says racial stuff at at a KFC. All of a sudden, it goes viral, and there's like thirty million people see it. And I'm like, why? Why are we? Why are we paying so much attention to this idiot who you would never listen to about on any other level? But now we want to act like she's representative of, like, the majority of the country or something. Right, it's just right, sad to right. me. I'm like, no, who cares what she thinks? So, I, that's a really good point that you brought up. And I, there's a, a really cool podcast, not to, you know, promote your competition, but I, I'm an NPR nerd. Okay. And um, they have, a, I listen to two, to two podcasts, but there's one called, like, The Hidden Brain. Um, and they talked about one of the episodes was on like outrage and this outrage culture and how like people get like almost a jolt of adrenaline mm-hmm. when they get pissed off about something, Yeah, you know, and they feel like, you know, because we have this social media platform now, well, I'm a good person. If I say something, if I, you know, denounce somebody else, if I, you know, use my voice to put someone else down who, who is a bad person, that proves just what a good person I am. Right. And, and it's a little bit addictive. And it does, it does set off some chemicals in the brain, like, you know, like dopamine does a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there's that factor to it. Um, and, you know, and people are being rewarded now for being victims. And I'm not saying, like, listen, like, there is real bad stuff going on. There are real hate crimes happening. There are people being assaulted, sure. you know, for being transgender or for being, you know, a person of color or for being a woman or, you know, but... The reality is there are more good people than there aren't. And as somebody who has had a past in the media, I understand that, you know, you go with what sells. And that's kind of the sick, twisted part of it. It's like, you know, what's going to what's gonna get the most clicks? What's yeah. going to get, you know, the most, um, you know, likes? What's going to, you know, get people all fired up? And, you know, it's kind of like that. Remember that video of that kid standing, you know, face-to-face with a Native American guy? And it was just a snippet, right, of mm-hmm. what actually happened. But right. if you watch the whole video, you saw a whole different story. But people don't want to watch the whole video anymore. They don't want to know the whole story. They just want to, like, see what they see and then take that for, you know, everything it is and then jump down somebody else's throat so that they can feel like a good person Yeah. because they're against it. And it's, 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 it's sad. Yeah, it's, it's almost flat-out irresponsible a lot of times of the media to to do the things they do, like you just said about like taking a 
a snippet, and I saw that clip that you're talking about, and then I did see the whole thing. But if you see the first part of it, or just even a picture of it, you're like, God, I'd like to punch that kid in the face. And mm-hmm. Then, <laughs> but then you see the mm-hmm. whole thing, and you're like, oh, there was more to it, and there almost always right. is, you know? There and, always is. There always is, you know? You know, whatever, even like when a couple fights, it's like his side, her side, and the truth, you know? <laughs> there's always more, and it's probably a combination of both, or there's like the whole story that you only get if you were actually there. Um, and so, you know, we as public have to do our due diligence to, you know, hold back in the, 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 the quick-to-response mode. And I get it. Like, we see something that upsets us. We want to, you know, get, I mean, like, yeah, you know, the Jesse Smollett situation. You know, Dave Chappelle, who is obviously a comedic genius, I mean, mm-hmm. he, you saw his Sticks and Stones. Yes. Brilliant. And he, I mean, he was so brilliant about it, but he talked about, you know, why people... <laughs> he's like black people and <laughs> he didn't get upset initially when Jesse Smollett came out the guy, this is the guy who claimed that he was attacked by two white guys in MAGA hats yeah. you know at 2.30 in the morning in Chicago and he's like Cause, well, I didn't think he was telling the whole truth <laughs> 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 and it's you know and it's like you know you just have to I call it uh, responsible reaction so I I use my comedy as much as I can for, for good, for bringing people together, but also talking about difficult subjects like racism and sexism. And, you know, I, I travel this country like you do. I mean, I feel like as comics who are on the road, you know, we should have honorary sociology, anthropology, and psychology degrees. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because we have to, you know, relate to people throughout this country who, yes, you know, are, are different. They're different colloquialisms and different... You know, cultures, there's a different, you know, attitude in the South versus the North or, or in East Coast versus West Coast. But, you know, by and by, by, we're, we're human beings who want the same thing. We want yeah. to be loved, we want to be respected, you know, and we want to feel like we belong. And I think so much of this outrage culture is people who are, who feel like they don't belong. But there's also people who are self-isolating. Like, you know, this whole, like, gender identity, politics thing. Like, listen, you can call yourself whatever you want to call you. That's not my business. That's yours. Right. But I think to force somebody to, like, say, it's my way or the highway, you know? I mean, Jordan Peterson gets attacked for saying that. But if that's not where I'm, my world or where I'm coming from, like, why would you put that on me? You know? I, I, and I feel like, you know, their Facebook has something like, what, 62 some genders you can choose from? And and we wonder why people feel isolated and like we have such a high suicide rate right now. Well, who's going to feel like they belong if they, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's like follow the follow the breadcrumbs. You know, people are feeling so disconnected from each other, and that's so tragic. And that shouldn't be the case because we're human beings here to be with each other. Yeah, and, and it it's crazy to me too how people like especially in comedy shows they they hear a lot of times what they want to hear like. In my in, in my act, you know, as a as a as a white guy, maybe I shouldn't talk about race as much as I do, but I I, I do. I always have. I've always my best friends have always been black. It's just been something I've always been drawn to the topic of, I guess. And I, I I say the I have the line in my act. We've all got to love each other, no matter what our race or sexual preference or any of that stuff. None of that stuff matters. I say stuff like that throughout my act, but inevitably mm-hmm. inevitably there will be someone who gets upset and like I was just in Fort Worth and I came out 
and uh, there was this big black dude, and he was like the only black guy in there. So I go, hey, black guy, thanks for coming out. Nice to see some diversity. Welcome to the Cracker Barrel. And that's that, <laughs> that was the joke. And and so I said that, and then I went into my act, and uh, and about five minutes later, the table he's at, they were all just talking really loud, and uh, and he had a he had a white girlfriend, and a, and the couple he was with was white, so I don't know if they were trying to, uh, I don't know what the deal was, but they they just they were talking so loud that I finally had to acknowledge it, and I was like, what are you, what are you guys talking so loud about? And they're like, we're talking about you, and then and, and then his his girlfriend goes, you started your show out wrong by picking on the biggest blackest guy in the room, and I was like. Wait a second. I wasn't picking on anyone. Oh my god. I, I said oh my god. And and then she just proceeded to I was like, "Can we all just have a good time?" And everybody applauded and I, I tried to just go back into my show and I did, but throughout the whole show like she was just mean mugging me and then she got up and and left for like 20 minutes and she came back and they all started talking real loud again and it was just like they were talking as loud as we're talking right now, and and right, that's right. the worst kind of heckler because you can't. It's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst. Oh my god. they're not that's directly so heckling like, you. Don't come out to a show. I like that was not picking on someone. Was, well, I think we should like tell the audience I'm black. <laughs> 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 I, know, I know I don't sound like it. <laughs> but just FYI, like uh, I, um, and I get accused of not being black enough anyway. But the point is like. I, it's the like people don't understand who aren't comics, but they don't know that when you're on stage, first of all, you see everything. You have like eagle eyes. You see who's wiping their nose. You see who's checking their watch. You see who's texting. You see who's whispering to someone else. Like nobody else in the crowd may see it, but you see it, and it can throw you off your game. So when people deliberately do nonsense like that, like that's just so uncalled for. It's so rude. Yeah. And if you don't like it, leave. You know, you don't like it, leave. Yeah. But I don't think you were out of line, and you were making. I mean, if anything, you were insulting white people by calling them <laughs> the cracker barrel, <laughs> which I think is funny. Yeah. Um. And I, people are losing their sense of humor, and that's why this looks so. This, I mean, two documentaries. One is called "Can We Take a Joke," and that actually came out in 2016, and that's on Netflix and like um, Amazon Prime and any on-demand like iTunes movies and it's a great documentary about how basically we comics don't want to perform on college campuses anymore because everybody's outraged everybody gets upset about something and you know safe spaces is kind of you know the follow up but it's more about free speech which is of course tied into comedy because if free speech gets taken off the block well then there goes comedy if you know I mean yeah yeah, and, and you know, like like you said, like you know, not only if you're not enjoying it, leave the show. But think about the people around you who paid to get in and got babysitters mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, and and let them enjoy the show. Like if if you're not, right. but they but they talked throughout the whole thing so much, and then anytime I would bring up, you know, like I've got a bit about um, about black guys being able to pull off clothes that white guys can't pull off. And mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and like everything I would bring up about anything to do with, having to do with race at all, you could almost hear him like, "Ah, oh, here we go again." It was like I'm not right, saying right, right. anything negative, and then like people who don't know and just hear buzzwords, then all of a sudden <laughs> there's. Like, happens, you should be like, "Look, I don't know why you think I have beef with black people. I don't. My son's name is Tyrone. Okay, <laughs> back off." <up. laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing too, you know, like, you know, like they don't know 
that you know my my one of my best friends who who was at the show with me was a guy from mm-hmm. high school who's a Mexican guy, and the guy right, who the right. guy who I called when I got home to bitch about this show. Um, my best friend is a black guy. You know, you don't know mm-hmm. anything about me yeah, as yeah. a person. Mm-hmm. You know, and you want to assume yeah. you do because I, I made a joke and, and basically made fun of how dumb racism is. And if you didn't hear right. it that way, then that's your problem. But don't ruin it for everybody else. Right. And the thing is, and your, your show shouldn't have to even gone there. Like, it, it shouldn't have to turn into a lecture about comedy and satire and poking fun at racism. Like, and that's really why I appreciate what Chappelle did with the Sticks and Stones was. He's like, I'm calling you people out. You, the audience. Because mm-hmm. y'all are messing it up for everybody. You're messing it up for us as comics, and you're messing it up for yourself. Because you keep doing this nonsense, and you're not going to have anybody who wants to perform it for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was brilliant, and I had people telling me that that they didn't like his special and all that. And and uh, in my eyes, I'm like, I don't know how you watch Dave Chappelle, and even if you don't like what he's doing or not like what he's saying, not realize how good he's doing it. <laughs> the genius of it, yeah. I mean, even if you don't like his joke, the, the way that he crafts it, and the, and that's what we as comics do. Now, is everybody Dave Chappelle level? No, no. He is definitely, like, above the bar. But we have people who are up and coming, and we're, we're geniuses, too. I mean, comics are the smartest people I've ever met, and that means whether... They went to law school at Harvard, which I know folks who did, or have an eighth grade education, which I also know folks who did. Right. But to be able to take something like really like simple and extrapolate on it and take it to a whole other level, or to take something really complex and break it down, like that's that's brilliant. That's genius. But that's a gift that yeah. comics have that I wish more people could appreciate. You know, we're not just in front of a brick wall talking about our private parts, like right. We're, we're talking about society. We're breaking things down. We're being the voice of the voiceless, often. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that 100%. I, you know, I've... Uh... You know, I, I I always kind of admired Bill Hicks because of the stuff that he he could talk about on stage and be funny with. Like that's another thing. Like you know, we, we can talk about anything, but it it has to be funny. Um, exactly. And I, I thought he was so brilliant at that. And and especially if you're not um, speaking of being like a, a smart comedian and a good comedian, if you're not famous and you're going up there every night and and getting laughs when people don't really know who you are. That's mm-hmm. freaking hard, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. if, and if you're good at it, you make it look easy so people think it's easy. And, like, I've noticed that people these days, they, they talk a lot more during the show. There's there's always at least one show a week where somebody will sit in the front and, and try to be funnier than me. Uh, I mean, and, and I've noticed this a lot more in the last five or ten years than I ever... I've been doing it for 20 years now, and the right. first five or ten, yeah, it, didn't, it didn't seem to be that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, real quick side note, where did we first meet? Was that at Stanford and Sons? We met in Kansas City. We sure did. We yeah. met in Kansas City. Um, and then, uh, did I see you in Reno, or did I just see your poster? Uh, maybe, because I think I texted you and I saw your poster up. I was like, look who I saw. You were like headlined in some room. I was there doing something. And yeah. Then, oh, I was, I was, um, Speaking, performing at University of Nevada, Reno, and I was at the Silver Lake. Um, oh, okay. 
and I saw your poster up. I remember texting you. Well, you're 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 one of the, you're one of those you're one of those people that I I only seen a handful of times in my life, but I I. I just kind of, I, I just like you. <laughs> I, I always, I always have, and and uh, you know, I've, I've always felt like you were my friend, even though we didn't really talk that much. Um, right, right. No, I feel you. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Um, and even though there are lots of comics out there, I think there are certain people you just have an affinity for because you know they're good people. But this is a small club, you know. I mean, it's a small club, and it's it's there's not many of us out there who are out there doing it and who stick with it. And you know what I love about comics, and I do believe it's true for most of us, is that you know we are happy for each other when something good happens. We're happy to see someone succeed because we know how freaking brutal it is, how exhausting you know being on the road is, like the. The, the politics, the, you know, the red tape that, you know, what most people only see is us on stage, you know, having a good time, making people laugh, but they don't see the hard work that goes into it, the calls, the emails, the dealing with crazy bookers, you know? Yeah, and, and it kind of even, I, I was I was working out today and I was thinking about what we were going to talk about and uh, um, I was thinking about how I think some people don't realize, like, or maybe they just don't care, like, because I was worried after I left, you know, like, God, is someone going to call and complain to, to Randy, you know? And and mm-hmm. even if they did, he's been around, and, and he's a smart guy, and, and he I think he would not be too worried about it. But not all bookers are like that. And I was thinking, these people have no problem, like, messing with someone's livelihood or worrying about how they feed their children or, you know, and it's like, if you don't like my jokes, that's fine. But do you have to call the club and complain and try to get me fired and never come back? And, you know, I mean, really? Well, I guess part of this, like, this this, this rogue social justice warrior thing, you know, like, well, I did my due diligence, so nobody else will be hurt or offended by that person. And listen, words are powerful. Absolutely they are. But they're also only as powerful as you let them be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And people have to start getting a grip. And, you know, do I like people saying the N-word around me? No. You know, I I, I don't say it. Um, I, you know, but I also know the intention behind it when it's being said. Like, when it's somebody saying it as a colloquialism and slang or telling a story versus someone saying it, saying it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, people have to discern, and that's also not easy now, especially in this day and age of everybody being on their phones and communicating more via type text than, you know, even just having conversations. Like, I'm, I'm, one of the things I want to do, Tim, is start a, a speaking tour called Courageous Conversations, where we just go around the country and have people talk to each other, because people aren't even sitting face-to-face, looking eye-to-eye, and talking to one another anymore. Like, it's a skill that has just, it's going by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was contacting someone recently about this project thing I wanted to do, and I go, well, just call me. And he goes, call you? I mean, he said this through a message. He goes, call you? Can, can we, he goes, I'm not very good on the phone. Can we just can we just keep it email? No. And I was like, well, I just wanted to have a conversation with you for a <laughs> 
God. You know, I mean, I felt you, sad for him because I knew he was young, and I'm like, eh, well. I was going to ask you how old he was because I just had a makeup artist. Um, I, you know, we had the DC premiere of the film, No Safe Spaces. So plug you, Matt. <laughs> yeah, so, please do. I can't wait to see it. It will be out in theaters December 6th. Okay. And this is a film that, by the way, it's Adam, stars Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager, who could not be more like opposite politically mm-hmm. but they agree on one thing that free speech is really critical and important and if we don't stand up you know and my whole point is like this isn't everybody issue like this isn't a straight white guy conservative issue even though they're more on the face of it this is an everybody issue this is a liberal issue this is a women issue this is a people of color issue like everybody needs to have their free speech protected and well yes it does mean that you know, people who are going to say things you don't like or agree with, and that lets the five Nazis who want to have a march, you know, do it. it, it don't show up. Ignore them. Yeah. Let them, by, you know, show show how unacceptable it is by not even giving them the time of day. Thank you. You know, but I'd much rather have them out in the open doing that nonsense than going underground. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen if you want to deny people free speech. Yeah. And then who's to say that you don't you don't have your free speech denied? Yeah. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Um, I, I tell people all the time, like, stop paying attention to them and you won't even know they're there. You know, if you don't, if they don't get 10 million views and people don't keep sharing this crap, you know, like, they won't have a platform, you know? Right, right, um, exactly, I mean, exactly. They can stop still... giving attention. It's like, you know, when your kids are at the tantrum. Or actually, like, you know, when your kid even hurts themselves. Like, you know, the more attention you give, the bigger it's going to be. Like, you know, your, your kid falls down, and you're like, oh, my God, are you okay? And then they, like, wail even harder. Right. But if you see it out of the corner of your eye, your kid falls down, and they bonk themselves, you don't see it. They don't see you see them. What do they do? They just... They get right back up yeah. and get on with their way. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. My boy has hit his head so hard before that I'm like, ooh. Right? <laughs> and he just gets right back up unless I, you know, it's funny, man. Right, right. And it's, I mean, it's the same thing, you know. People want to be childish. You let them act out and you don't give them the time of day. And guess what? They're like, oh, that's not going to get me. And most of these people anyway, let's be honest, just want attention. Yeah. Most of these people, they just want attention. They, they're they starving for it, and they don't know how to do it other than by acting out. Yeah. You know? But that's also why you should engage with them. Yeah. I'm not saying become a best friend, but, like, if you, you know, most people just want to be heard. And I think that really happened. Like, we saw that come out in 2016 after the election. So many people felt so disenfranchised, and they wanted to feel like their voices meant something and like they're being heard. Yeah. And, you know, they felt ignored as, as a country. Yeah. And we can't do that to each other. Like, we're, we're in this together. You know? That's, fu- that's funny. I, I, my new t shirt says, Don't be a butthole. We're all in this together. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, and it's been selling pretty well. But, um, yeah, I, I think this is a really important uh, film, and I think everybody should see it um, because it, it, it is. It's. It's giving too much power to things that shouldn't give power to, and people are getting the wrong idea about a lot of things. Like, I had a comic tell me, he goes, you can't joke about race because you have a bit of an accent, so people will think you're racist. And I go, well, if you think someone having an accent is what makes them racist, you're just as ignorant mm-hmm. as a racist. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
but, exactly. but people don't see it that way. They're like, no, that's not the same thing. And I'm like, it is. You're judging someone you don't know based on their appearance or the way they sound. or That's the same thing as being a racist, dummy. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it's, you're still discriminating. You're still, like, that's still your unconscious bias. Actually, that's conscious bias, you know, if you can acknowledge it. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, that's a big part of what I, so, you know, I mean, I, I haven't been doing stand-up as much as I used to because... I just have been been called, truly, to do a lot of work where I'm on college campuses and I'm, you know, speaking to organizations. And while I still use humor and comedy, you know, I I know I need to bring people together because we are in such a desperate state of polarization and division. Mm-hmm. And we have people who, you know, just need to be reminded. Like you said, you know, we're, we're in this, and I feel like I should just be able to get on stage and be like, hey, don't be an asshole. You know, drop the mic and then leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we just need the reminder that, and you know, part of my goal with all of this is redefining, like revamping how we have this conversation about diversity and inclusion. Because while I, I want to believe that, you know, the people behind the movement are well intentioned, what I have found is that the way it's been done for as long as it's been done has just. It has to have the right effect. Like, it actually caused more division and polarization. And it's it's kind of like the law of attraction, right? Like, what you put your mind to or your energy toward is what you get. Well, if you focus so much on, you know, diversity, 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 we're so different, we're so different. Well, that's what you're going to get. People think we're so different, we can't possibly come together. Yeah. So, I, I actually, I trademarked, I coined and trademarked the word inversity. So that's what I teach. And inversity is still a nod to the diversity part, right? like acknowledging and respecting our differences, but shifting the focus from what separates and divides us to what do we have in common? You know, how can we be really, truly inclusive of one another? And most importantly, how can we be introspective, right? Meaning understanding your value, your worth, your connection to humanity. Because if you can see that in yourself, then you can see it in someone else. And that's that's really at the root of it. You know, yeah. so many people who do have issues with racism, with sexism, with all this other stuff, they don't even like themselves. So how in the hell are they going to like somebody else? Right. Yeah. You know, they... They do look for things to get upset about to kind of justify their anger just in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's sad. I, I'm sorry. I'm all over the place. There's so, many, so much That's okay. We're having a good time. stuff I wanted to talk to you about. Um, have you seen a, a – do you, do, you, do you feel like you're, you're helping, like it is helping when you do these talks and stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without question. I mean, yeah. you know, I was in South Dakota – not long ago, and um, it, was a, it was a corporate um, event, and I, I did, the, the name of my program is called Stereotypes 101, okay. and um, you can find out more about it at com, K-A-R-I-T-H, and one of the things that happened was this really, like this gentleman, pulled out, he was like 60s or so, kind of looking like Larry the Cable Guy's. You know, uncle came up to me in his plaid shirt. He goes, Miss Foster, he goes, I just want to tell you that I really appreciate what she had to say. He goes, and I know I got some stuff to work on. He goes, but I really, you made me think. You made me think about some stuff. And you made me wow. see things a little differently. And but that, to me, like, that was worth flying to South Dakota. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> like, that was 
words. You know what I mean? That was worth the time and the energy effort. Just that one person saying something like, you know, oh, I gave I gave him a million scenes of it. And, and I know what I'm doing is working because I did a session once where the same session, this very, like, militant black lesbian came up to me and was like, thanks, you know, I really appreciate what you had to say. And then this really white guy from Utah was like, that was the first time I felt included in a conversation about diversity. Really? And that's how it should be. Yeah. You know, that's how it should be. Like, we shouldn't be pitting each other against us. Like, we, we shouldn't be calling people out. We shouldn't be victimizing or vilifying. Like, who wants to be part of that conversation? Nobody. Yeah, and I think some people don't even know what, you know, like, like it drives me crazy when someone has a problem with anything. It's, it's always a white woman who has a problem with anything I say about race. And I, and I, I just want to go, I wish you would come with me when I do a show that's mostly a black crowd and see how much they love right. these jokes. And to see right. what you're getting pissed off about is not what you think they would get pissed off about. You know, like, right. not if I'm going to generalize a, 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 you know, a, a race, I've, I've found that black audiences want you to be honest even more than funny. You know, like, like if, if, there's, if there's honesty in what you're saying, a lot of times black audiences will come along with you even if it's, like, edgy or whatever. They don't care. Right. They just right. want it to be funny right. and honest. And when, when, so when, when white women get that way with me, I'm just like, God, you just don't even know what you're bitching about right now. <laughs> you don't even know what you're mad about. Anyway. Well, what's so funny about that is, like, I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree. And listen, I'm so basically, I did Showtime at the Apollo, like the TV show, mm-hmm. um, and actually did all right. Um, but then I did Jamie Foxx's Lack of Palooza in Atlanta, and let's just say they're, they're there's two sides to Atlanta. There's like the Huxable, bougie side of Atlanta. <laughs> and then there's the Pootie Tang Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the Pootie Tang Atlanta that was in the audience that <laughs> just hang out with me. And <laughs> I did not go over so well. <laughs> um, if I could have burst into flame on stage, those people would have been happier. Because I don't fit the stereotype of a black woman that we see in the media typically, you know? I mean, I'm more Carrie Washington. I'm more like Lisa Turtle from Saved by the Bell Black. (laughs) 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 And that applies to some folks and some folks it doesn't. So, you know, it is about like the audience. You know who loves me though? Gay men. Yeah. Gay white men. They love me. I get to know. Like, and I don't know if that's because inside they all feel like they have an inner black woman. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, they're, <laughs> I become their idol. <laughs> but it's, like you said, number one rule in comedy is be funny, you know? And part of that is knowing your audience. And it is unfortunate that we have these people who are out to interpret everything for everybody else. You know, it's like, just, you you take care of your own lawn. Yeah. You know, you water your own lawn. The grass isn't always greener, and you don't have to go over to my lawn and clip my weeds, you know, if I didn't ask you to. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about, because my boy's only a year now, and I've been trying to only do about, 24 weeks a year, and, and do them in the beginning, at like, one in the, beginning of the month and one in the middle, so I'm never away mm-hmm. from him for more than four or five days in a row. Um, mm-hmm. And that's worked out pretty good so far, but I, I already, especially the more he's becoming like his own little person, I mean, I, I miss him so much. Have you found it difficult mm-hmm. being a mom to, because you have two girls, right? 
I do. I have two little ones. Um, and it is, you know, so when they were babies, <clears throat> I was doing more stand-up. But I, it was just one of those situations where, I mean, I designed my life so that I could basically be a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. Um, things are definitely rapidly changing, but I also wanted to have a career that would allow me to, you know, be able to get to their school and do projects and, you know, be as much as, uh, be as present as possible. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard for people who work nine to five. I don't know how they do it. And so they could to daycare. Like, God love everybody who does that. And that, to me, it breaks my heart because, you know, I, I want to be with my kids as much as possible. And you do miss them. And, you know, I'm very fortunate, and I have a very supportive husband, um, also known in social media as the Aussie. I married an Australian who has no filter whatsoever. So talk about comics having a hard time. My husband's going to have to start walking around with black tape over his mouth. <laughs> um, but my, I have my parents, which is extremely helpful. I mean, I don't know how people do it without family. Yeah. Um, you know, but a lot of times the kids will come with us. I mean, my, my firstborn was on 40 planes by the time she was one. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, but I was also nursing, so I couldn't leave her. And yeah. you just, you figure out how to make it work, but we travel a lot together. Um, now that they're in school, I mean, I'm, I'm even looking at homeschooling. I'm not going to lie. Like, that's, it's just, I, because I get it. Like, you miss them, and I'm going to have to go away again. I mean, I, I just realized, I was calculating, on Southwest, by the end of this year, I will have been on 50 flights, just on Southwest Airlines. Wow. That's all I fly is Southwest, by the way. Yeah, I love them. I try to. And I've flown other airlines, too. Yeah. Uh, Please tell me you buy each ticket one way. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, you have to do that. (laughs) Um, You mean so you accumulate them faster? Pardon? Why do you you buy them that way? Oh, because that's the way you accumulate the flights. Oh, yeah. Flight counts. Yeah. So you get to your 50, and then you... um, and then you get your free internet <laughs> instead of paying eight dollars a pop. Yeah, I I never quite get that many, but I'm I'm a list, and I get those free drink things. And I quit drinking nine years ago, so I'm like I've got like nine hundred of these drink coupons. Um, do you I, give them out to people though? I do give them to people, and I've got a friend who drinks a lot, and I give them to him. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt you, but um, with the Southwest comment, but so. I love Southwest. They're my favorite airline. I love them. I love them. I love Delta. I like American too, but I just, it's just easy to fly Southwest because they they let you change your ticket. Like without charge you, you get two bags free. Like who can beat that? Like who's mad at that? Yeah, that's uh, sometimes I'll fly two hours out of my way and just rent a car just so I can fly Southwest. Wow, you're dedicated like me. We should we should do a commercial for them. Yeah, we just did. No shit, we did. Because um, <laughs> a lot of people probably you know, didn't realize all those. What's that? I just said a lot of people don't realize those things about Southwest. You know, when I tell them, they're like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, you don't have to pay for bags, and you don't have to do this, and you can change your flight, and you have like a year to use it." I call it my Southwest bank. If I sometimes I'll book a flight, I'm not even gonna. I don't even know if I'm gonna use it. I'll just book it, and then sometimes you know, because I've got a year. But uh, I think I was going to tell you that I'm going. I'm going to. Uh, I'm doing the comedy club of Kansas City. It's a new club in KC, and that's where I'm from. And my uh, my mom is going to get to see my boy. She met him back in March, but he's only a few months okay. old. And now he's walking and oh, all that stuff. So. I know he is so cute. 
you, oh my God, that little nugget is so precious. Thank you, thank you. Uh, and I, it's so obvious that you're just such a, an adoring father. I'm so happy for you. Like, I really, I'm so happy for you. I, I think everybody should experience parenthood if that's what they really want, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and when, when I tell people all the time, when you don't have a kid and you, you know, you hear how much work it is, first of all, and you, I always said to myself in my own head, like, how much work can it be? Well, now I know. <laughs> and, and I always heard people yeah. talk about that unconditional love, too. And I, I, I was really curious how that felt. And now I know. And it's pretty awesome. Right? I mean, you would do anything for yeah. this person. Yeah. Anything. And you're like, what? Where did this come from? Yeah. Where did this come from? You know, before... But that's also why it's important that you're out there doing your thing and being this voice and, and bringing joy to the world and just, you know, being who you are. Yeah, and I want him to see that, too, you know, that, like, I, I want him to see me do that and, and not only do it, but be happy in it, you know, and... Mm-hmm. Occasionally, I let the business get me, you know, because it's not a fair business. It's very, no. you know, I mean, I was talking to my friend the other day. I was like, God, how come so many of the comedians in this country that are well known suck so bad? <laughs> and there, and, and there are so many guys and and girls who are hilarious that people have no idea who they are. I'm like, it's I just, know. it's just I the know. way it is, you know. I know. But. It is what it is, exactly. You know, it is. You know, people are like, who's your favorite comedian? I'm like, ah, you probably never heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you also, um, I won't keep you on here all day, but I wanted to ask you about motivational speaking. Do you still do a lot of that? And and how did did you get into it? Um, Well, I guess, you know, a little bit of my backstory is I am, you know, Comedy is this amazing vehicle, right? And you kind of never know once you get in and shut the door where it's going to take you. Some people go the sitcom route, or that's, you know, what so many people think they're going to get in to do movies and TV. Sometimes it's not being on TV, but writing for it. You know, some people end up in radio. Some people end up, you know, writing speeches, being, you know, humorous. And um, some people become speakers. And, you know, I ended up getting a pretty major gig about 10 years ago. God, no, like 12 years ago now. On Imus, Imus in the morning, and he was the guy who got in trouble for calling the Rutgers women's basketball team nappy-headed hose. That's right. Um, and that was like a shitstorm all over the media, and mm-hmm. you know, I refer to it as Nappy Gate. Um, <laughs> and he he got fired. He got fired from MSNBC. He's the reason we have Morning Joe now on MSNBC. Oh, yeah. Morning Joe and Mika. And um, he was on WCBS, and they also let him go. And when he was looking to come back, um, someone said, you know, you should probably diversify your staff if you really want to come back and, you know, make an impression back on people. So I got the phone call from a booker who I hadn't heard from in years. Hey, Kara, are you interested in the radio TV opportunity? Um, you know, any comments worth their salt? It's like, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you know, sure. And they're like, by the way, it's with Don Armas, like at the time, one of the most hated men in media. And it was a really big decision for me um, because I got what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard that, like you said, you hear the whole tape versus just the clip. Um, and what happened was his producer, um, who I actually like, Bernie Bernard McGurk, who now is on the air, he, he said, you know, messing around, trying to be funny. Um, 
wow, those are some hardcore hoes, right? Talking about Rutgers. And Don Imus, who has no clue about culture or like what's hip and what is appropriate. Um, not that that's an excuse, but he goes, yeah, them are some nappy headed hoes. Like, parroting Bernie, trying to be funny. But right. he was a 127 year old <laughs> white guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Trying to be hip and cool, using lingo that he thinks is, you know, clever, not realizing at all what he was saying. And so, and I got it. Like, I got it. I know as a comic, when you are on stage and you are riffing and you, you know, stuff just flies out of your mouth. Yeah. Um, that, that happens. And unfortunately, you don't get to censor yourself on stage like that. You, you, that's just how comedy's made, yeah. you know? And you just hope the audience gets it and they're forgiving. But unfortunately, his was captured on air. Yeah. And it got, it was a slow news. It was a perfect storm, you know? Slow news day. Really unfortunate thing to say. But the worst part was, A, it wasn't funny. Um, and B, it brought these poor young women who were the Rutgers women's basketball team into a spotlight they didn't ask for, yeah. you know? And they then, you know, had to face this media and other people showing up at their games with horrible signs because people are assholes. Um, and it just, it just was terrible. And, you know, I do believe that he was contrite when he apologized. Mm-hmm. I really sincerely do. And that's not to say I think he's a great person because I think he's a very damaged mean person who has a lot of demons that he has to deal with um and i know that's having worked with him now but i don't think he was intentionally being a racist or even an a-hole that day um so long story short i ended up saying yes and i took the position because i thought that that was going to be my chance to basically be the anti-stereotype of what we see of black women in the media Mm -hmm. you know um there really weren't too many representatives. You know, at the time this happened, Oprah no longer had her regular national daily show. It was before her network. This is pre-Shonda Rhimes and Kerry Washington and Viola Davis. Like, there weren't a lot of people looking like me having a voice on, you know, on national TV or radio. So I said, yeah, it's like, here's my chance to be smart and funny and talk news and politics of the day. Like, yeah, I have to do this. I have to. Plus, I, I want to do this. I, I like doing radio. I like being funny. I like being on air. Um, so it was just like, you know, kind of a win-win. What I didn't realize, which I alluded to earlier, is just how unfortunately damaged um, this guy was. You know, he, he just has his demons. He's an alcoholic and a drug addict who never sought recovery. Yeah. You know, so he's an admitted dry drunk, and he would have these manic episodes that were just so, like, just scary. I mean, you never knew who you were going to get. It was, I always said if I ever had gave birth to bipolar twins, I'd be good, because I know what it's like <laughs> dealing with something like that, you know? Yeah. And um, it was kind of out of control. And, it, uh, like, no lie, it was abusive. I mean, it was pretty abusive. Janice Dean, who's a meteorologist for Fox News, mm-hmm. um, she's their, their head meteorologist. She talked about it on The View back in March. And if you ever you know, watch that clip of her talking about just what a horrible human being he was to her, like, everything she said that he did happened to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the brandishing of the gun to the insults to the... And it was just consistent, and it was daily, and it was... Horrible. I mean, it was horrible. I, wow. I really nobody, not too many people know what happened because um, I didn't really share about it. 
um, probably, because I, I was, it was just so devastating. Like, I, I, I felt like I had PTSD, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I also knew I wasn't going to let him ruin my life, because I, I, I have met women who said, you know, it took them 15 years to recover. I'm like, well, he's not taking that from me. He, he doesn't deserve that much of my bed. Yeah. Um, so it took me about 18 months, you know, to kind of get myself back in, in order. But what I decided was, you know, after that experience of him wanting to basically came to a head when he wanted me to be the voice that he couldn't be, basically. I, I talk about in my TED Talk, my TEDx Talk, um, you know, he wanted me to start doing voices of, like, black people and characters and kind of, like, step and fetch it stuff that right. I wasn't down with. Yeah. And um, he actually said to me, you know, here's the thing. You're too nice. You don't make enough fun of black people. And that was kind of a dagger to the heart because it's not like I have a problem making fun of anybody, but, like, they need to have done something sure. for me to make fun of them. I'm not just going to, like, poke fun at Oprah because she's the most famous black woman in the world. Like, you know, if she did something silly or stupid that I could credit, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not just going to do it to do it. He just wanted me to be mean. And yeah. that's not who I am. Yeah. And I don't think comedy is mean. Like, it's not funny if it's mean. Right. You know? Yeah. So, long story short, I ended up leaving, but I swore that I never again would I be put in a position to do anything but something positive with my comedy. And, you know, as I was building myself back up from that experience of being basically torn down, and I, I lost my comedy, you know, in the sense that, you know, you can't go out every night like I was in New York City and hit the clubs. We have to be up at four in the morning to be on the air at six. Yeah. Like, you just, that's just not, it's how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I needed to get back into it, and so I started, I was like, well, maybe I can try speaking. And so that's really when it took off. So about 10 years ago, I started deciding that I wanted to encourage other people who'd maybe been in a situation like me. But I also knew, again, like, the power of humor, like, what it does for people, how it brings us together, how it connects us, but how it's healing and cathartic. Like, that had to be a part of it. Like, it had to. Um, so is that what you're... Yeah, that's... Sorry, was that, that, is that what your motivational talks center around, mainly? Yeah, well, so the first program I created was basically when I had this epiphany of, um, you know, how everybody has a not enough, right? I'm not smart enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not rich enough, I'm not not whatever enough. And it's this lie that we tell ourselves that keeps us from achieving our, our, our dreams and our goals and thinking that we're worthy of the stuff that we really should be able to accomplish and can accomplish. You know, it's this crutch, but it's, it's, you know, I don't think it started out intentionally bad in life when you're told, you know, you're not old enough to stay home by yourself, or you're not tall enough to reach that counter, or you're not, you know, athletic enough to, to try out for the basketball team. It was probably people trying to protect us, mm-hmm. but we let that um, gremlin, if you will, kind of creep into our mind, and then we took it over. And, you know, everybody has a not enough. So the idea is, you know, you identify it, you disseminate it, and you pass it so that you can have the life that you want, which is entirely possible. It is entirely possible, but you just need to have the tools to do it. Yeah. So that was the first program I created. And actually, I have another program um, called You Can Be Perfect or You Can Be Happy. And I'm just uh, finishing up the editing with the book of the same title. Um, and I think it's going to be pretty big, Perfect or Happy. I think it's going to be not just a book. It's going to be a series of books, but it's, it's going to be a movement. Where, where can people find this stuff? Because I'm really interested in that first one you were talking about, the I'm Not Enough. 
love to uh, check that out myself because, you know, I mean, I, I quit drinking a long time ago and I've, I've, I've gotten rid of a lot of baggage that I had to get rid of to even have a kid, but I also know that I, I'm still held back by certain things and not only do I want to fix those things for myself, but I, I, I want to know how to teach it to my boy because I wasn't, I wasn't given everything that I needed, not out of necessarily malice or anything from my parents. I just wasn't. Um, right, right, right. So, and you can only teach what you have, and there's some, some time, I just, I don't want him to have some of the hang-ups that I do. Um, and I know yeah. that they go from way back into childhood, and some of them I'll never fix, and no one's ever going to be perfect. I'm not looking for that, but, you know, I, I think everyone can benefit from that, because we all have, Absolutely. we all have that. I mean, I still get so nervous sometimes about comedy that you would think I had never done it and I know that I'm pretty good at it (laughs) you know (laughs) I know I know I know trust me you're preaching to the choir and the thing is you're not alone and I'm not alone and you know we are all these imperfect fallible beautiful creatures that are just trying to navigate this thing called life and you know that's why I do what I do because you know I'm not perfect or happy like you can be perfect you can be happy like that is the story of my life just trying yeah. so hard to be perfect all the time yeah and realizing what was it getting me you know was it getting me perfection or was it getting me anxiety and stress and disappointment yeah yeah, and and at the end of the day, very few things really are 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 worth letting your worth your time that way. You know, mm-hmm. that's the best thing about having a kid for me is it's it's kind of made me realize there are only there are only a few things that really matter. You know, that really yeah. really matter. Um, but I can tell myself that a million times, and then I still have these issues where I'm like, man, I just <laughs> damn it! I thought I was past it's this. You know. To a therapist, I went to uh-huh. a I went to a therapist one time who basically, long story short, t- you know, we went back into a, a a time period where something started in my life, and and she just kind of helped me realize that like, well, 
that what 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 happened then you were a little kid and you're a grown man now it doesn't have to affect you the same way and when you can mm-hmm. allow yourself to realize that it it does help but that's why childhood is so freaking important absolutely <laughs> you know absolutely. i mean it's the blueprint for everything and uh-huh. you know so absolutely yeah. absolutely more which is why you know we're talking about the power of words, right? Mm-hmm. And words are only as powerful as your recipe, but you can understand that as an adult. As a kid, you don't know. Yeah. You don't. You can't make that distinction. You don't have that maturity yet. So, you know, my husband and I are very careful with the words that we use with our kids, even though my husband's Australian and drops the F-bombs regularly. Yeah. Um, as far as saying, you know, oh, you're not big enough to do that, or you know, old enough yet or whatever. Like, we really try to remove that not enough from our vocabulary. Yeah. And you, there's another way to say, you know, to say it. You can say, when you're older, you can do this. Right. You know, when you have, you know, accomplished this, then that can happen. Um, you know, you just, you have to be so careful with your words because with children, you don't know how they're going to interpret it and what internal message they're going to store, and and that becomes their their story. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And we're not perfect. Listen, all of our parents, whether they're amazing parents or shite parents, they did the best that they could. Right. With what they had, they really did. I don't. I don't know anybody who sets out to be a horrible parent. You know, some parents are blessed with better skills than others, but like, you know, I mean. I know my mom has done everything in her power to be the exact opposite of what her mother was for her because yeah. it wasn't so great for her. My, my grandmother was one of my best friends, but she and my mother had a very different relationship than she and I did. And my mom wanted to not give me what her mother gave her. So she went out of her way to be the domestic kind of quote-unquote goddess. You know, she made my clothes, she made my baby food. She, you know, I mean, that's just who she, she was because she, she didn't want me to have the same experience that she had. Yeah. Well, I think she, uh, for what it's worth, did a great job with you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I'm going to give props to my dad, too. My dad was pretty phenomenal, you know, yeah. for someone who didn't have a dad for a lot of his life. He, he really, you know, he coached my soccer games and, you know, was the Indian princess dad. And, you know, I'm really, really fortunate because I know not a lot of people have that. My parents will be married 54 years, no, 53 years this year. Yeah, that's awesome. I was, uh, I was on a plane when my wife was pregnant and we didn't know what we were having yet. And, uh, I read something in a book that just kind of, it got to me. And, uh, it was this relationship between a, a, a older man and and a young boy. And they, it wasn't a father son relationship, but that was the closest thing that the kid knew. And, uh, it was just this excerpt in this book and it it just, it it got to me and so bad that I had to go to the bathroom and like, I was, I was tearing up. And I went to the bathroom uh-huh. and I, I prayed about it on an airport bathroom in an airport <laughs> airplane bathroom. God, please give me a boy so I can give him all the things that I wished I had been given. And uh, and I had a boy and I, I feel like it was, you know, not that I couldn't have loved a daughter and everything the same way, but sure. but I I just I, I do feel like God gave him to me, you know, like hey, yeah. here you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> And and everything that's happened in my life, good or bad, has all led to him. So uh-huh. it's it's all okay, uh-huh. you know. It's it's 
everything my parents did, everything, you know. And if you look at it like that, you know, it's it's hard to be upset about anything. Exactly. I think that's a wonderful attitude to have. And it's so great that you can see that and recognize it and not be living in any kind of resentment, you know. Because here's the thing, it's real easy to blame other people for your stuff. It's real easy, you know? It's And it's it takes, you know, it takes the onus off of you. But when you can accept that, hey, the people who raised me did the best they could, now it's my responsibility to get my happiness, to get my health, to get my success. Like, that's what seems scary. It's actually really empowering. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because there comes a point where it's like, yeah, bad things happen, and I, 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 you know, you understand it, and you feel for someone, but there comes a point, it's like, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, like, mm-hmm. you can't change any of that stuff, and, and I've struggled with stuff my parents did, especially my dad, and, and uh, I still do, but I think I'm getting better about it all the time, um, mm-hmm. and that's all we can really do, so, um, anyway, it... I, I've really enjoyed the heck out of talking to you. We're right at an hour, so I'll uh, I'll let you go. But um, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this podcast. And and where where can Karis dot com is your website? Um, is there any uh-huh. place any place else people can find? Plug anything you want, sister. Uh, sure, sure. So I also I have another website, which is for the the nonprofit organization I started, which is called Frame, and that's like you know it's about reframing these conversations, right? And frame, um, it stands for Foster Russell Alliance for Meaningful Expression. And what I do is I take programming that promotes free speech, inclusion, and social change to colleges and universities. Um, but I also speak to corporations, and I study stand-up, uh, but I do a lot more speaking, but it's always humorous. And, yeah. um, but it's about, you know, getting to the root of these things and changing our lives and, and coming together and, and connecting with each other so karis.com is our foster russell.org is the other email our website um but i'm on social media just at karis foster i mean it's, it's not hard to find me you google me and you can't get rid of me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i googled you earlier um and last night and, and quite a bit of stuff does pop up um and maybe later um at some point i can talk to you about you know sometimes i think I would be good at motivational speaking. Like I, I had a lot of stuff happen to me growing up that uh, that I had to navigate and, and get around and, and all that stuff. And I feel like I've come a long way. And, and humor is such a benefit when it comes to talking about stuff like that, you know? Because especially when you're talking about uncomfortable things, if you can be funny with them, you know. Which is what I love to do on stage is talk about things that are kind of uncomfortable. But if you can make them funny, that's, you know... There's so much value in it, you know? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk we'll talk about podcasts and, uh, and see what we can do. But, yeah, I mean, I think you'd be great at that. I mean, you're so talented and you're so funny. You're such a great person. Well, that's very sweet of you. Um, I'll, uh, I'll let you go so you can take care of that girl I can hear back there. <laughs> you can hear her calling from like... <laughs> I really, I really appreciate your time, Kareth, and uh, and safe travels, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sweetheart. Same to you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody. That was Kareth Foster. That was a really fun conversation, and 
um, easy conversation, and, and I really enjoyed that. Make sure you check her out, Kareth.com, and uh, uh, she's a very funny and talented uh, young lady, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed the heck out of that. Make sure you go to makingithappen.com, M-A-C- Making it happen.com, M A C A N it happen.com. How about little Bo making and his family? My website is timgathercomedy.com. All my social media and my podcast and everything else is on, uh, can be found on that website. I will be headlining the uh, Comedy Club of Kansas City. Um, I think I say the name of it wrong every time. Comedy Club KC, however the hell you say it, it's on 103rd State Line. I'll be there December 12th through 14. My buddy Kurt Fletcher is featuring and uh, going to bring my family home to uh, see my brother and mom and sister and and uh, I think some aunts are coming in town and some cousins. and So going to have some uh, good family time and hopefully some great shows at that new comedy club. Go to uh, thecomedyclubkc.com to check out... Uh, to buy tickets and all of that, or just Google the club if I gave you the wrong website. Uh, So yeah, I think that's it, everybody. I really appreciate you guys listening, and God bless all of you. Take care. Bye.